I put this all together, I think, why would aliens crash a gala for a space mission? You don't seem like the kind of guy they send in to break terrorists. Not getting FBI's top interrogator vibes. Something else put you in that chair? Tell me, Agent Wells. What makes you the man for this job? Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and join me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton being forgotten about in a pool of 90 proof of vomit. <laughs> and we're here this week to tackle episode 8 of season 2 Picard, Mercy. Yeah, Cam, so it feels like the last four episodes, we, we keep saying like they could have excised so much of the season and just gotten to the point here. And look, we've been dragging on the show for so, so much. I, I wonder if maybe we can talk first about some of the plot developments and then we can kind of go into mm-hmm. maybe what's working or not working for us. But we've gotten to this point and, and okay, I'm already going to start bagging <laughs> on the show. But but when they when they announce uh, that, uh, you know, the, the whole point of the season is that Rene Picard made some sort of discovery that made Adam Sung's like own work completely obsolete. Like they, uh, I think it was Q that delivered that line. Or uh, am I getting mixed up? But anyways, like w- what the point is, like they just delivered that line in such an offhanded sort of way, like very dry. Where this music so prone to like, or the the show's music is so prone to swelling at moments that you think are supposed to be significant. I I thought that. Have I just been missing something this entire season? That's why I've been so frustrated. Has it been this obvious this entire time? Like, it was just a very frustrating moment, even though it kind of furthered the plot and actually, for the first time in eight episodes, told us what the whole point of everything that's going on. But what was your takeaway from that, I don't know, revelation, if you want to call it? I found it a little confusing. Um, I, I, I find this show is very bizarre in terms of its structure because, like... They keep, you know, selling the whole 10-hour movie thing, but, like, a movie wouldn't be introducing all of these sorts of plot elements in, like, the last act, basically, or just before the final act. Yeah. Like, these sorts of things would be set up. Um, Usually, the markers are around the 20-minute mark and then the 45-minute mark in a two-hour movie, around there. That's kind of where your major revelations would happen that are going to set up the next acts. And here we are... And if this were, like, a two-hour movie compressed, we'd be in, like, the last, I don't know, like, 25 minutes? And they're, like, introducing major characters and then uh, finally giving Dr. Soong a, a, like, direction as to which way he's going? Like, that's very strange to be doing. Yeah, and, I mean, the the stuff going on with Q, where he's, like, uh, talking to Guinan and it's all the talk of, like, yes... I'm dying. Yeah. And it's like, well, didn't we kind of figure that out like what, like eight or six episodes ago? And so it's like, this is supposed to be a big revelation. But here, here's the essential problem, though. It's when you have the audiences way ahead of your characters, that's frustrating. But when you have the writers purposefully obscuring like information from the audiences, 
then you're in this mystery box format where it, it seems as if you're you're playing tricks on audiences more than telling like a good narrative like like the storytelling isn't taking precedence here it is the mystery box element of it all and, and that's what just what keeps like irking me throughout the run of this entire season that you know we just have to tune into the next episode and we'll give you just a little bit more and i'm like well what you're giving me isn't very satisfying well and you're also expending energy in hiding everything because i'm sure there are um organic character moments they could be writing but they're like okay we can't do that because we haven't revealed this yet so you find yourself having to write around all these little moments that they want to reveal even like this one had the whole thing with uh, the character of wells and his whole backstory experiencing you know this encounter with vulcans on earth i mean I was scratching my head going, you know, like you could have turned this Wells character into someone that actually mattered and built that in earlier on and made him a character that ran as a thread throughout the season. You could have combined even, I, I don't know if they want to tackle the ice thing just to have, you know, the social commentary on that. But like, I think we said it was pretty superficial and you probably could have done without it. You could have combined the Wells story with the ice story in terms of having characters be arrested, have Wells be a character that's driven by this experience as a youth, like, that would kind of give you a thread to kind of connect the season a little better. I don't know. There's like all these things they want to obscure and then just, you know, pay off in a single episode or something like that. And it's like, like, why not build things around this? Like, that's the thing, like you mentioned, you know, Q and what he's up to. Like, I don't know. Isn't this season supposed to be somewhat Q driven? Q feels like barely a supporting character in this season. We don't even know Q's motivation for the first, you know, seven minutes of this little adventure. And that's what the problem was last season as well, is they obscured the motivations of your antagonists. And so it's really hard for you to really get behind the story if you don't understand what people are motivated by. And that's just writing 101. And um, I do appreciate that Agent Wells uh, had the exact same haircut as a 10-year-old as he does now in his 50s, <laughs> which, you know, um, otherwise we've been, we would have been really confused as to who that young boy character was meant to be had they not uh, given him the same haircut. So um, it was funny. I, I called out Jay Carnes, the actor who played Agent Wells last uh, week, um, not realizing that uh, Jay Carnes previously played one Lieutenant Duquesne in the uh, episode of uh, Voyager Relativity, one of my favorite uh, Summit of Nine episodes um, featuring, you know, time travel and the return turn of uh, recast Captain Braxton and then all the uh, internet memes came rolling out uh, revealing like oh this is all part of the time cops and then this is what I realized like that would have been far more interesting than we we end up getting like loser agent Mulder instead and I was just like okay okay I mean I'll say this Mercy like we, we can kind of dunk on it I, I'm they're kind of slowly getting better at telling this sort of episodic storytelling that i prefer and, and like i don't think monsters from last week was a very good episode but i favored it over the previous just blob of like story points that we had been getting from episodes three to uh six you know like i, I if you ask me what happened in any one of those uh episodes between three and six i, I wouldn't be able to tell you but if you kind of delineate it more like oh this is the picard episode where you're in picard's brain or this is the episode where picard and Guinan are getting interrogated it, it helps me a little bit more to delineate it. So I, I, I like this one. It also had a little bit more narrative thrust uh, compared with you know previous uh, episodes, I, I guess, since um, the, the episode two where we were in the alt reality. So it has that going for it. I just, I, the problem is, Cam, we're getting to the, the, the final run of the, the season and it's this is not, it's still not a very compelling story. And I, I don't know, do you think 
we experienced it last year where it was much easier to binge watch Picard than to watch it week to week. Do you think this is just going to be the same thing all over again? I don't know because things were obscured in season one Picard, but I feel like most of the characters were there earlier on. Like, you know, Nerissa, Narek, uh, was it O was the other character? What was the name of the, the wrong? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, yeah. So like, Commodore. Yeah, so like characters like that, we they may have been obscured, but they were set up relatively early in the season. Whereas, like, I think my big frustration with this show is that we have characters who are apparently important popping in in episodes like seven and eight and what have you. And so I'd be sitting there on the rewatch just waiting for them to get, you know, to finally arrive to kick the story into gear, which I think would be kind of frustrating. And like, Season one, Picard, you can almost understand why they took their time. They want to have those three episodes of, you know, kind of establishing who Picard is and before we send him off to space, you know, him gathering his team. Whereas, like, this season doesn't have that excuse. So I think I might find it more frustrating just to, like, sit there and binge watch it because you're waiting for things to start moving. Yeah, and it's not as if the character stuff has really <laughs> elevated it at all. We we finally got to see Seven of Nine have some sort of, you know, like kind of pain and uh, pathos to to deal with. You know, um, I don't know, but it doesn't doesn't kind of seem like something that would have happened in like season seven. Like we're hitting similar character beats as season seven of Voyager as well. You know, it's just like it's you could do so many compelling things with Annika, and and it's her not wanting to be identified as Borg, you know, like she finds that offensive because her girlfriend Rafi is always the manipulative type, right, Cam? That Rafi. <laughs> always manipulating people every single time. And it's so weird because wasn't like Rafi in season one sort of more of kind of like a tough den mother type? Like that was kind of the vibe yeah. I got from season one. She wasn't pulling the passive aggressive toxic you know i'm going to manipulate people she was just like let's uh, call it as it is i'm a flawed character and even the, the stuff with her son his issue was that she wasn't there for him when he needed her it wasn't that she's a manipulative mother or anything like that and so it's just it, it's them again telling not showing when it comes to these characters yeah and uh i mean i i did i thought in isolation that scene with her and elnor was like kind of effective but you're right. When you expand it to the larger character, it doesn't really add up. And I I don't really like to think of their relationship as being that because we didn't get to see them really as this duo uh, on the show. And yeah. that's not really what I was hoping my takeaway would be of what Elnor, you know, what relationship Elnor finally had before his untimely passing. <laughs> well, doesn't it feel as if like this should have been like the Elnor Raffi stuff should have been like a short trek, you know, uh, have that little short scene as kind of your intro to the short track and then show Elnor and Raffi's rapport at Starfleet Academy. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like early on in the season, Raffi was just like, you know what? Uh, Elnor's absolute candor gets him into trouble. That's why I've taken him under my wing. It, 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 they're, they're kind of like retconning that entirely because they're trying to give her motivation as well. They're, they're really... You can tell that the writers have this combination which they're reverse engineering where they want to be by the end of the season. And they're also just making up like rando stuff on the fly. And it's just, it's this cacophony of like story points that just, they don't ring true to me when I'm watching it, uh, you know, at least week to week viewing. Whereas I don't know if I binge watch it, maybe I just like blow over these things. I don't, I don't sit there and think about it very hard. And they also, I guess, wanted to, um, you know, obscure 
the motivation of Raffi. And like, that's what they've done for eight episodes, essentially, was she feels guilt over manipulating Elnor. And they could have told us that up front and let us go through that emotional journey with the character. But we spent more often wondering what the heck was up with the character when she's seeing <laughs> like alternate Elnors walk around on the street. And now um, we get this revelation in episode eight where it's like, really? Like, we didn't go on a journey with this character. We just kind of got a gotcha kind of moment on episode eight. And I want to ask the writers that. Like, what is the point of obscuring characters' motivations? Like, I, I don't understand what, what they're trying to accomplish here. And they, they keep doing that season after season. And I, I'm sure people say, well, no, it's it's the mystery box storytelling. Well, that, that's more of like kind of the plot-based elements there. But I, I think the, the character motivation should not be obscured either. I, I generally don't know what the writers think they're accomplishing other than getting, like, viewers very frustrated. Well, like, J.J. Abrams was known for kind of the mystery box approach. But when I think about you know, the films he's made, um, you can definitely spot those mystery box elements, but it's not at the sake of character. Like, I think when you watch, you know, the Star Trek films, if you watch Mission Impossible 3, uh, yeah, 3, um, you can say that those elements are there, but he is doing everything he can to invest you in the characters. It's more the plotting that will fall into that mystery box kind of trap where it's always kind of superficial, but not at the expense of writing really compelling personalities for the audience to get involved in. Well, this stuff, this mystery box storytelling on television, it really grew out of another J.J. Abrams project, uh, Lost, which kind of became a phenomenon in the mid-aughts. Mm -hmm. And the, the deal with Lost, though, is that the, the, the plot points, there may have been mysteries surrounding there, but... You were invested in those characters. You knew what drove those characters. Every single episode was devoted to one character and what really motivates them in their lives. And it, it was a really character-based show, which was great. And then what happened after Lost is you had all the copycats come around. And you had just like this slew of ripoffs that were focused on the plot points rather than the character stuff. And so what star trek picard seems to be is like an outgrowth of those copycats from 10 or 15 years ago versus an effort to do modern day television right and i just point to a show it's not my favorite show but it's uh, a show that i found enjoyable both its first two seasons and i think it's one that we could easily compare star trek to but uh, mandalorian uh, seasons one and two in which you have very, very obvious mission-based stories every single episode. The character has a goal to reach, and he either achieves that goal or he fails, and a lot of the tension grows out of whether or not or how he achieves or fails. Whereas this, it's very clear, like, yeah, we're making a 10-hour movie, and we're going to format it as such, and we're going to have, like, random... It just seems so arbitrary where they end episodes. I, I just think about the... um the episode before they uh, crash the big banquet, and you had the last 10 minutes of them leading up to, hey, we're going to crash a banquet, and then the episode just ends. That, that That's not like a full story that you're telling there within that episode. Cam, I, I don't even remember the name of that episode because everything just kind of blends together for me on Star Trek Picard. And so it just seems as the writers, 
they're coming at it from a completely different era. And I, I think what happened is like, maybe you've got, I don't know, I think Akiva Goldsman has a, a lot of influence. And I wonder if, because he's from that uh, film background and he doesn't really have any television pedigree behind him, he doesn't know what modern day television is. And that's, and I, I can't blame it all on one person at all, but I just, it doesn't seem as if the writers really understand what um, good storytelling in television is nowadays. I, I, I um, I know I'm going on a big long rant. I'll, I'll let you jump in, yeah. but uh, I just I, I just rewatched all of uh, the uh, season five of Better Call Saul because uh, season six is on right now, and it has an ongoing story throughout the season. But every episode stands on its own, and I could maybe jump into episode seven, and uh, I, I may be a little confused about you know some of the ongoing stuff. But I understand that there are characters with motivations and they're trying to achieve something and maybe they fail at that goal by the end of the episode. It tells a full story there. You're you're not doing that at all with Star Trek Picard. No. I mean, I think even of like um, Breaking Bad, I, uh, I think it was, was it season two or three, the one where John Delancey appeared? Uh, season two. Season two. Yeah. Like there's all those little teasers of the burnt up stuffed animal that you're confused by through much of the season that all pays off by the end. But that's not what the episodes are built around. <laughs> like they yeah, can obscure that, I know. <laughs> but still tell you completely satisfying standalone stories. But I did have a question for you. You were saying the lost imitators. What were some of the imitators? Are there any that stand out? Well, uh, there's one, I think it was called The Surface. Okay. Uh, there is uh, Brandon Braga. It may have been The Surface, but Brandon Braga was producing uh, a co-created one with uh, David Goyer. And... Uh, they were all complaining, like, we're not a Lost imitator. We were developing the show, you know, a year before Lost ever came out. But I think what happened, though, is you had all of these uh, networks, they all greenlit these shows all at the exact same time after Lost became a phenomenon in its first season. And so, yeah, The Surface is the one that jumps out. Oh, there's also one, I think it was called, like, Flash Forward or something, where, I, you know, everybody on Earth simultaneously has, like, a Flash Forward, and they see, like, 30 seconds of their life all at once and then they go flash back to the present day and it's about them dealing with that sort of stuff and it and again it's all this mystery box sort of thing where you try to figure out um what everything meant you know with that five-year flash forward or whatever it was you know it's just kind of there's just tons of these imitators I, I would say there's probably like uh lowballing it there'd be like five that came out all within a year of each other did any of them last at all zero yeah. And that's what happens when you ch keep trying to imitate greatness rather than becoming the next great thing. Like Game of Thrones, like um there there's no show like like it when it premiered. There's literally no show like it and it was very much a character-based show. And then yeah, we we've got these imitators very slowly coming along like you know with the Wheel of Time, which I I gave it a go. I gave it like 5 episodes. It just looked like cheap Xena Warrior Princess or something like I'm just in terms of production value. Xena was a lot of fun. Like that, that there's like mm -hmm. kind of the campiness. This is not such a fun show, but I I'm just saying like Picard seems as if it's trying to imitate some sort of storytelling rather than go out and do its own thing. You know, TNG was not trying to be a copy of the original series and Deep Space 9 was not trying to be a copy of TNG. And I I just feel as if like Discovery and Picard, they're trying to copy like CW sort of storytelling or, or what have you, which is even kind of the um, the production values. Like, uh, you know, they're spending tons on Star Trek Picard, but it kind of looks cheap, especially when I come off of watching a, uh, a show like Better Call Saul, for instance, which I don't think they have a giant budget, but the cinematography, it, it looks fantastic. How dare you say that parking lot fight looked cheap? 
Oof. Oh, Cam, I have that in my notes. Please, you jump into that right now because I just um, like that made me groan. That made me groan. I know what you mean, though, in cheap. Like I had um written down CSI Borg during that whole bit with <laughs> Raffi and Seven, and it was just done in such a like a. Uh, it seemed like I, I mean, CSI tends to look kind of slick, so I don't even know if it's a fair comparison, but it had that kind of vibe of you know a mix of that and C uh, CW show, but it's like them just walking around a block. And then finding a parking lot and having a very awkward punch up with Agnes. And I, I I think the Agnes board queen stuff is actually potentially interesting. I don't know if the end point of this episode points in that in an uh, interesting direction, but I like the concept of it. But when we had this very poorly choreographed fight scene in a parking lot, I was like, oh, this is uh, this ain't great. And I, I like I do agree with you that this episode for me was a significant step up over last week's I thought last week I think monsters may be my least favorite episode of the season but um this one what I find weird is there was moments in this episode I enjoyed like when Picard is having his talk with Wells I'm like oh this is kind of giving me vibes of that episode you know first contact or who watches the watchers kind of that Picard as guide to the wonders of you know the future kind of uh energy and I was like okay this sort of stuff I like but this episode had this weird mix of being kind of gloomy. I find that Picard, the series, tends to just fall into the gloomy category a lot, and I don't really know why. Um, and then also, as I said, really kind of cheap, um, poorly shot moments like the uh, parking lot fight. The parking lot fight, watching like Agnes slash the Borg Queen run over the cars, like we're jumping from like <laughs> trunk to trunk. It's like you think the writers are like, oh, this is going to look so badass. And I don't want to fault the directors too much, but there's only so much you can do with a bad idea to execute it in a way. Uh, but I think it could have been executed better. But the whole, like, um, Borg Queen walking off the screen, and the kind of the, they're trying to make her look badass. It just doesn't really work for me at all. And I don't know. And, and oh, I, I should go back. It was actually the Borg Queen slash Jurati that uh, told Sung that Rene Picard's work would make his irrelevant. I, I have that in my notes now, but I don't right. know. It just, when we jump forward to the very end, get rid of all the board queen stuff, but she's now assimilating like, I don't know, Blackwater contractors to <laughs> go like, uh, take over the La Serena. I'm like, uh, it's, it's again, it's like, Hey, this sounds like a cool idea, but it's, I don't know. It, it seems pretty stupid to me. Does it sound like a cool idea? Because when I was watching it, I was like, huh. Like, it's weird how when I think of Picard and what that character represents, there's like a classiness, a sophistication. And yet when I watch Picard the show, it often has these very junky moments. And when I'm watching all these like mercenaries <laughs> being infected by Borg uh, nanoprobes, I'm like... This feels like something I would see in like a, you know, kind of like B-grade sci-fi action movie. Not something befitting the character of Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> well, it feels like an episode of Smallville or something like that. Smallville, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, there's all these just like, I think of like the kind of the sci-fi action movies, like things like Surrogates, there's the Bruce Willis one, Replicas with Keanu Reeves, kind of those like ones that show up in theaters for like a week or two that are just really trashy sci-fi. They usually try to hinge on a few action moments that they market really heavily. That's kind of what I thought of when I was seeing a moment like this. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I think this new assimilation technique is pretty lame. 
tubules all the way for me like that's what uh, rocks and i don't know they, they just keep finding ways of, of they, they want to kind of like update kind of the look of things but it just i don't know it doesn't necessarily work for me so uh okay so renee picard she makes a discovery that makes uh soong's work obsolete it, so <laughs> i'm trying to figure out for the longest time my theory and i'll share it now is that um uh, Jean-Luc Picard had to make love to Rene Picard to ensure that the family line will continue on. And, um, <laughs> oh, he no, was trying to stop no. that from happening. You know, it's kind of like that Futurama episode, uh, where, uh, Fry has to sleep with his own grandma. And, um, uh, I guess that's out the window now. I, I, I guess it has more to do with the, uh, the launch of, uh, Europa. But, um, there goes my, my, uh, fan theory for, uh, the, the last, uh, seven or eight episodes there. That truly would have been the darkest future if that's what I had to sit through. It would have been something to talk about, at least. Whereas, like, yeah. I mean, just like the future of Star Trek discourse of people talking about the, well, what were the contributions of Jean-Luc Picard? I mean, in all fairness, he is a synth, so. That's true. I don't that's know. True. Yeah. Can synths procreate, Cam? Um... You know, you'd think that's the sort of question they would have tossed off in an episode, but also it's not something you would generally ask a hundred-year-old man. So, um, huh. Don't you think it was... No. But but Isn't it so weird how they keep, like, flopping back and forth about, like, acknowledging Picard as the robots? You know, he, didn't he call himself as, like, a, a flesh-and-blood robot? Or, or somebody called him a flesh-and-blood robot this episode? And then other episodes, they just... They, they purposefully ignore it. And, like, he really hasn't spent any time, like, kind of acknowledging what his constitution is and how it's somebody loaded with the memories of the original now dead Jean-Luc Picard. Well, you would have, you know, if this were a TNG episode or a TNG revelation that Picard had to have this done, you would have had episodes of him learning about his new self, spending time with data or something and trying to kind of understand who he is in the universe and what this technology means to his life going forward. That's not what this show's interested in. I mean, this is a show that has, like, mercenaries. <laughs> I mean, are we going to have a firefight at the uh, La Serena? Is uh, Dr. Teresa Ramirez's son going to have to pull up a phaser and, <laughs> pow, 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 I got you. <laughs> like, it, he's going to witness a space fight, right? I, I don't see him and his mother sticking around in the 21st century. I see, mm-hmm. I think the problem is, is uh, they keep talking about how we can't contaminate the timeline even though, uh, well, Picard telling Agent Wells, uh, those are Vulcans, by the way. Um, and we also have uh, Rios taking uh, Dr. Teresa and her son over to La Serena. It's like, okay, well, we see all this contamination of the timeline, despite the fact that uh, Raffian 7 absolutely refused to transport uh, Rios out of the bus. And the fact that Picard's transport into uh, the alleyway revealed himself to uh, Agent Wells. Anyways, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have to end up with uh, the doctor and her son like back in the 25th, 25th century. I, I have to believe by the end of this. They've just seen too much. I Yeah. I mean, I would have to imagine. I'm now just trying to like wrap my head around this. Okay. I think we have to do some um, jump some hurdles here because. Um, okay. So I figured the next episode will be about, I don't know, battle for La Serena or something like that. Uh, and I would have to imagine episode 10 would be them coming back to the 25th century now the way they wound up in the scenario was being like was it like their consciousness being transported out of their bodies in that event where they were encountering the borg uh queen and 
in the Stargazer? That's my understanding. It's that Q selected just a few people that blew up in that armada, which were Picard's friends. He selected a few of their consciousnesses to be transported into the bodies of folks in this alt reality, which is why Seven doesn't have Borg implants and why I think it makes sense that Elnor is alive by the conclusion of this season, because we all know that Picard is going to succeed in the end. And yes, so to answer your question, Cam, uh, yes, yes. Okay, so, I mean, didn't Q say in this one he wasn't responsible for it? I think he was saying he wasn't responsible for Picard going back in time, and he wasn't responsible for the altered timeline. All he did was uh, transport Picard's consciousness into the alt timeline's body as well as his friends' consciousnesses, is that the plural, into uh, their bodies. Cam, the fact that you and I are debating this, and I know it confused so many other people. I just look at the Facebook groups, and everybody's confused about this. This is a failure on on storytelling as well. Okay, so if we are... Okay, we have the shootout. We have to go back to the future. They do their ring-around-the-sun kind of, uh, you know, technique again. And um, say they take... Uh, the doctor and her son, because that seems to be the way they're pointing. How do we get back to them waking up on the stargazer? Well, I guess what would happen is we get uh, a few moments before the whole big destruction happens, right? Uh-huh. And it's when the Borg Queen just lands into the bridge, transports into the bridge. And then that's when they all just say, hey, we know that the Borg Queen is Cory." Or the Borg Queen is Rene Picard. Or the Borg Queen is Gerardi. We know the identity. We know that they're a good person. And let's just let the Borg Queen in this S&M outfit, obscured by the mask, <laughs> let's let the Borg Queen go at it with whatever she's trying to do with linking all our ships together, as opposed to us all simultaneously self-destructing. And I think that's how they stop that cataclysmic uh, event, you know, with that big temporal anomaly that the Borg diamond, or no, it was a Borg starfish uh, came through. <laughs> okay, but what about the bodies of the clinic doctor and her son? How can you possibly bring them to the future through this whole like crazy, um, like I don't even understand how do when they are doing the slingshot around the sun to go back, how does that suddenly bring them back to the to the you know bridge of the stargazer? I don't know. <laughs> can- <laughs> I, you can tell I put a lot of thought into all of this. You've stumped me, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe they're left behind on in the 21st century and they have to pre- promise to keep this all a secret. I don't know. This show's so stupid, Cam. Because like, I feel like there's a fundamental like piece missing here where we just don't understand. It's kind of like they had... Okay, look at Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. They're like, we've got a problem. How do we solve it we slingshot around the sun go back in time okay we understand also how they're going to get back we because we know when they're on the you know back on earth we know that once they've got the whales they may have ship problems but that's what they need to do they need to slingshot around the sun to get back to where they need to be i don't understand how they get back to where they need to be on star trek picard season two especially if q is dying and it doesn't really have the power to change it yeah and I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of mystery box element of how Pic- or um, how Q gets his groove back by the end because his I don't his groove Q groove back. <laughs> we're stretching it, listeners. We know we're stretching it. 
Yeah, like I feel like there's going to be some sort of revelation that Q gets his powers back because I don't see them just leaving him to die on Earth. I, I don't that know. Seems kind of weird. I think they might. I think this could be John Delancey's. Like, hey, you know what? I, I'm. I think I'm. I'm done with the character. Maybe I could buy that. I also could just see him. I could also just see him on Los Serena with them, riding back <sighs> to the future at the end. I don't know. I, I hope not. I, I hope like I, I, look. I, I don't like the idea of like. Q going through all of this and it's all for nothing, you know? Like I, I, I want there to be some sort of finality with Q or with this trial for humanity. Cam, the problem is we have two episodes left of this show. They don't have time to delve into any of these interesting questions that we would want answered at all. No, I mean if you're going to bring Q back and have the whole the trial never ends kind of stuff, this is not the way to do it. Like this would you say that this season has been a satisfying Q story to kind of put on the shelf next to the other ones? No, but it's not exactly a satisfying, like, Picard story or Seven of Nine story, or, or it's not based on character moments. You know, the, the closest we got this episode is when, you know, Dr. Teresa and Rios are pretending they had a decade-long relationship and she was ready to cheat on him, and <laughs> and then they made out for <laughs> and then their kid ate too much replicator cake i'm like you know give me moments like that i'm just like okay at least there's like something weird going on like versus like plot point plot point plot point cake is eternal oh, um but like they had that whole setup with the doctor scene and i'm like okay this is kind of a little cringeworthy but at the same time I've never heard a character talk to another character like this in, you know, TV or film before. Like, the actual, you know, sentiment of what she's getting across. I'm like, okay, that's sort of interesting. Um, but it feels like the writers were all set up with no payoff because they had nothing for Rios to say. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we love that idea. Oh, my God. What a profound concept for one character to say to another. Hmm. What does the other person say? Yeah, in all fairness, uh... Cam... <laughs> Uh, if I was ever on a first date and somebody said that to me, I don't think I'd have much to say back. <laughs> I don't think I'd have much to say after knowing them forever. Yeah. I'm very simple people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I. It's it's weird because I'm complaining about these moments, but at the same time, it's something that I've been yearning for um throughout much of this season which is kind of just slowing down and ha giving these sort of character conversations and this episode did that whether it was with that whether it was with um Raffi and Seven um or also um Picard and Guinan just hanging out in the uh you know in that very shady looking FBI office moments like that I'm like okay we're slowing down enough to let the characters talk to each other so that is kind of on the right track and it wasn't done in a way that was like embarrassing it's just like you want to just i don't know some of these moments to feel organic as opposed to okay this is kind of our stop and everyone kind of catches up kind of episode um speaking of that moment uh or i guess the uh the extended period when they were in the fbi interrogation room when, when guinan was projecting her oral self into the interrogation room like it looked profoundly lame and cheap as well. Mm. And like, it just, it, it's stuff that it's, the show has a weird execution problem in that it executes lame ideas in, in ways that are lame. And it, it's like a good director knows how to elevate those lame ideas uh, that are on the page into something that isn't embarrassing to look at. Yeah. Um, and I, 
am kind of torn between wondering if this is an issue with directors working on Star Trek Picard or if it's a little bit of almost like the Marvel problem where Marvel is so specific about how they want their films to look and feel that uh, there's only so much you can do. And a lot of Marvel movies don't look great. Like that's kind of the, uh, you know, not so secret secret of Marvel movies is that they actually don't look particularly good in comparison to some of the other, um, you know, blockbusters out there. And it's just, that's their template and people have to stick to it. And is that the sort of directives they're getting from the Kurtzman company of like, this is what our shows look like. You got to go with it. And a lot of these shows don't look particularly good. Well, my sense, just looking at the strange new worlds, uh, uh, marketing is they're going to go with that same sort of like template, you know, like um, it's, it's not as if Picard it has some sort of wildly different cinematography or style to it than Star Trek Discovery. I sense that'll be the same. You, you know what? It seemed that maybe episodes one and two uh, with Picard maybe f- did feel mm. different than Discovery. And then I think they kind of fell back into this pattern, despite the fact that, Cam, remember like when we were on, <laughs> we were on like the end of episode three of this season, Assimilation. And we're like, okay, well, you know, this LA stuff is going to wrap up, you know, by episode five, and then we'll be back into the 25th century again, uh, or, you know, maybe alt timeline or something. And the fact is, they've stretched it out, uh, not just three episodes, but it's going on to, like, it'll be by next week, going on to, what, like seven episodes? And I'm pretty certain that we won't get back to the 25th century until maybe halfway through episode 10, the, the finale, which I just find frustrating. But point I'm trying to make is, like, despite them being in L.A. for so long, it, it still adheres to, like, a very similar sort of, like, I guess, Paramount Plus Star Trek universe look that they want. Yeah, and it, I would imagine part of that is they want to leave it open to crossovers, so they want all the shows to kind of look similar visually so that you can have who knows if like Michelle Yeoh pops up in one of these other shows or we have, you know, a time travel episode where you could have a character from Picard show up on Strange New Worlds. Like, I think all these things are probably on the table in the bigger picture of the Star Trek universe. They wouldn't be calling it the Star Trek universe if they didn't plan to have some sort of intermingling. But um, I, I would suspect that's a big part of the reason that there's a very set visual template. And to be fair, I mean, the... um. The Berman era had a pretty set visual template as well. Um, it's just that this one, uh, it, it feels... Hmm. The Berman era was made at a time where TV could get away with looking, you know, cheaper than movies. Whereas now, when you see a show like Picard, it's kind of confusing why it looks pretty clunky when you can flip onto another streaming network and watch an episode of The Mandalorian that looks like it costs just, like, untold amounts of money. And I think the budgets for both series are, are pretty similar, which is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and even like a show like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul look phenomenal. Um, so it's not even money because those shows don't have the money that um, you know Picard has. It's just entirely the, the cinematography and the staging. Well, I, I want to go back to Better Call Saul for a moment here. And it's, look, no spoilers or anything like that, but... Just rewatching uh, the latest or the previous season once again, I, I realize how much they are visual storytellers. They want viewers to be looking at the screen, not looking at their phones. And they tell so much just with silence, with characters' actions, with um, shots of vistas, with shots of you know rusted out vehicles. It's creating a mood. It's telling you what the story is. Um, oh, you know, so uh, in journalism. 
you always want to line up photos that are able to kind of tell the story without a reader ever having to like read the actual story, you know, like something that just grips you and makes you want to go further, dive deeper into it. And I don't get that with Star Trek Picard. And I think what it is, you have a lot of visual confidence in the style that the Better Call Saul folks are deploying. I don't sense there's any sort of visual confidence in what they're doing in you know, uh, Picard or, or Discovery right now. Whereas, I, I don't know, I, I think they're going hog wild on uh, Lower Decks or in Prodigy right now. I, I think they have clearly broken free of uh, that cinematography trap. And I don't know, it, it looked like a very different show if um, you had the same visual style in, say, Prodigy as you would with, uh, say, Picard. Hmm. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I would be in favor of that because I think Prodigy looks fantastic. But it's interesting because when you look at the Berman era, I wouldn't really say that that's a really visually driven show um they just that wasn't kind of where the attention was it was more on the acting and the writing but i think the problem with picard is it's not driven by the writing it's not driven by the characters and it would be questionable to say it's driven by the visuals yeah (laughs) doesn't it feel like a, a like a factory made sort of show like just yeah, too many cooks in the yeah. kitchen, you know. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but it's, you know, I I feel like what kind of factories are you visiting? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's um, you know, you go to like a nice restaurant, and you can tell when a uh, uh, the chef, you know, in the back puts a lot of thought and care into what's going on, versus you know. One of those days, you just got to eat. You go to Wendy's. You get your uh, your chicken strips that are uh, going for like five bucks. And uh, you know what? They, they, they do the trick, but you know there wasn't a lot of love and care put into it. That, that's kind of how I feel with Picard, despite the fact that I think a lot of the people that work on the show really do love the fact that there is a Star Trek universe. I just don't think that they're playing within this template in a way that, like, as you said, it seems like a very gloomy show. I don't know why they don't want to have fun with this show. And it is weird because, I mean, we've seen Akiva Goldsman in Las Vegas. I've read interviews with him. He seems to have a genuine love for the franchise. I don't think this is like a cynical enterprise of him just being like, (laughs) pardon the pun, enterprise. Um, But like, I don't think this is him just being cynical and being like, you know what? I just want to make some money. Let me just attach myself to this Star Trek thing and ride it for as long as I can. It seems like he's someone who has like a very long relationship with the franchise. And... It's like something's just not connecting. Like maybe he's just not capable of telling those types of stories. And he is someone, if you go through his filmography, has not had the best of luck when it came to dealing with genre properties. Like maybe that's just not his skill set. But it doesn't seem to come from a place of just, you know, trying to cash in. Well, I also understand a creator's inclination to not just repeat what's come before it like i totally understand that you know kurtzman and company they went into discovery and picard saying like we, we don't want to just keep doing the same things that brought people to love star trek in the past um mission accomplished <laughs> you know but like if they were going to go down that route i wish they kind of at least tapped into some of the elements there and look uh, your mileage will vary on star trek lower decks or star trek prodigy but it, it seems as if they are able to tap into those elements that made Star Trek work for so many people uh, for so many years. Whereas I just don't find the other creative teams capable of doing that. I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it, it's they seem just like 
far more dour, depressing shows, all in an effort to scream to audiences, this ain't your daddy's Star Trek. But okay, didn't we find in uh, the, the, this pa- the past two seasons of Discovery, kind of that fetishization of violence has kind of been missing uh, versus where it was in the first two seasons where you had decapitated baby heads and, you know, like jumping up and down in like uh, Leland's like bio goo you know like that sort of stuff isn't Hmm. present in the last two seasons of discovery no it's actually felt very like filed down around the edges when early on discovery was seemed to be going for pretty adult gore i think of also the um, episode where they go in season one and there's like all the bodies turned inside out you know things like that um so it, it does seem to be going that direction picard I don't know that I would say I've noticed a shift in season one to two Picard. Uh, We still had some Elnor decapitations, but um, I don't know that I would have said season... Throat slitting for sure. Throat slitting for sure. Yeah, throat slitting. I guess though the one thing is, and we've brought it up a billion times, but like we haven't had anything I don't think on par with like the Icheb moment, but I suspect... Like, there was a lot of backlash to that, so they may have taken the notes on that one. We also haven't had anything on par with an episode like Nepenthe, you know, which... uh... You know, that that came late in season one as well, you know, uh, season se- uh, episode seven. But um, I don't think they'll get anything close to that. And I, I think the big reason Nepenthe works so much is because you were tapping into what people liked about um, previous iterations of Star Trek, which were those, you know, kind of legacy characters. And look, it worked for me. And despite... Um, Illustrating how depressing um, Riker and Troy's life has become, having to deal with the death of a child, and it's like, oh god, you know, <laughs> yeah. that episode still worked for me, and they actually made Soji very briefly kind of a compelling character, but they were giving her compelling things to deal with as she's dealing with um, uh, this existential crisis for the first time. The same can't really be said for Corey here. Like she, for somebody who's been so sheltered for like the last thirty six months, thinking she's like a twenty year old. <laughs> She was ready to tell her um, psychopath father off and like uh, just ditch town and go explore L.A. I was like, wow, that's um, that's some balls there. Like, good for you, Corey. It's a lot like that kid in Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom at the end, just being like, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> Is Corey going to push a button and uh, release all the dinos? <laughs> I mean, I would be down for that finale. That would be more interesting to, to me than mercenaries. Yeah. But yeah, like um, it's. The Corey thing, again, they obscured so much of it. And we had, like, what, two episodes of Corey, really? Uh, and I don't know. This seems like it might be an important character. It feels like Soong might be an important character. And I think it's interesting, and I don't know if I'm going to say good, um, that Soong, we've encountered a few of them. There was the Eric Soong in the Enterprise uh, three-parter, I think, with the Augments. And... What I've found interesting is usually Soong is someone who um, is, you know, obviously a genius and can fall victim to kind of, you know, maybe some questionable ideas in pursuit of his achievements. This Soong, though, I mean, this is just a full-on villain character. He's running old men down in the street. Like, it feels like the most simplistic approach we've ever seen to a Soong, um, you know, someone in the Soong line. Are you saying that uh, Star Trek Picard is not really all about the nuance? It doesn't seem to be. Because <laughs> yeah. like Eric Soong, you could say, oh, there's a villain. I mean, he was definitely more villainous than the previous Soongs we'd seen. Uh, but nonetheless, there was an element of him that genuinely was driven by this care he had for these augments. 
And we saw by the end, you know what? I've made mistakes. I think I can redirect my life. I'm going to look into this cybernetics thing. Uh, I, I don't know what we've got going on with old uh, Adam Soong here. Yeah, uh, but it also feels as if you only have like two hours left, if that, when, <laughs> uh, in the season to kind of wrap all of this up, bring this all to a head. And I, I just don't think that they're going to be able to accomplish that in a, in a satisfying sort of way. Um, Cam, I, I need a... I'm very confused about Rios's comm badge. Like, because um, we saw when Ice picked him up, the comm badge was left behind. Yeah. Um, did the FBI go back to the clinic... And search the clinic, find a brooch, and decide that this brooch slash combadge was worthy of collecting because a guy who broke into a banquet the night before happened to be arrested by ICE in that same clinic. Is is that what we're being led to believe? Like I I I, I don't get that. Wait, now I'm confused. Wasn't the was that where they got the badge? I thought it was Picard's badge that he dropped. I thought it was. I thought he said like. This is your friend, uh, Rios. Uh, he was discovered at a clinic, and we went back to that clinic and found this comm badge. Okay. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Because the stuff with Rios, I remember, was him just um, Rios's quote-unquote confession about who he was that they read out. Um, but did they ever recover Rios's comm badge? And now I'm like trying to remember if they ever did. did... I don't think they ever. I don't think they ever did. I think seven and. Uh, Rafi walked into the clinic and didn't get the comm badge and then walked back into LA and I, like I and, and I think the comm badge was left there and I think the FBI picked it up we'll have to go back to the tape on that one <laughs> okay okay I, I, I mean like I'll feel like an idiot but either way I, I, do you think there is any resolution with what ever happened to Rios's combat? Forget my whole FBI theory. Um, did we get any resolution with Rios's combat? Well, I would say there's no resolution to one of the combatges. So whether it's Rios's or the one Picard dropped, we haven't gotten any sort of payoff to. Because wasn't it weird that we end up back at 10 Ford, the uh, 21st century bar, and Picard was not wearing his combat there? Mm-hmm. Yes. We didn't see that. And then... I don't think they ever explicitly said what happened to Rios's comp badge in the preceding episodes. And my interpretation, I could totally be wrong. It's happened before when talking about Star Trek was that uh, Agent Wells and company picked up uh, Rios's comp badge uh, or Ice picked up the comp badge or something, which doesn't make sense either. Um, and I don't know. Anyways, alien technology. Um, Cam. Uh, I like the idea of the Vulcans um, accidentally crash landing on Earth like every 10 years or so and uh, <laughs> encountering people and uh, confusing them. That, that could be kind of a fun anthology series. I was um, kicking myself for using the X-Files music as our outro uh, music last week because this one was way more X-Files. <laughs> I was watching the opening going, oh, man, <laughs> because like, uh, yeah, that was... The most X Filesy moment I think we've had. Uh, well, you know what? The episode Schism in TNG was very X Filesy, but uh, this one's a close second, at least, for X Filesy moments. This one reminded me of the Simpsons uh, X Files episode where uh, they had Mr. Burns uh, jumping through the forest, uh, glowing uh, and his <laughs> eyes bulging, right? 
Yeah. What do you think Wells is going to do in, uh, you know what? Maybe that'll be my outro music will be the um, sing along from the end of that episode. <laughs> That's a very, thank you, Tyler. You've given me a great suggestion. Okay. But um, okay. what do you think uh, the function will be of Wells in at least the next episode? Can't he be of far more utilitarian use by remaining in the FBI to help these characters save humanity? One would think. I don't know that he has a lot of powers outside of the FBI. <laughs> but it's it's the decision for the writers to say that he's been let go uh, by the FBI. Like, the writer, like, it, it, I don't know, this, this is just so frustrating. Uh, he's He'll play some sort of role. He's got friends. I don't know. Just the Wells stuff doesn't, um, Wells going forward doesn't really intrigue me. I, I, I liked kind of the moments that we got with the guy, like him. Also, Guinan was being really mean to him. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're obviously not, you know, the, the top grade interrogator that I put on this. I'm just like, okay. He's like, they're kind of calling him a loser. It's like, okay. Like, I think he gets it, but whatever. Is Wells going into the future? Um, I think, uh, yeah. And uh, the, the whole bar uh, that uh, <laughs> had this smash glass, they'll get to go into the future as well. Um, uh, no pun intended. Um. Corey's going in the future. Adam Sung will get to go in the future, hang out with Alton as well. You know, like who who won't go into the future? Bring them all. It'll be just like Noah's Ark heading off to the 25th century. <laughs> Picard just taking all of, uh, you know, 20, uh, 24 humanity back to uh, the 25th century. Um, the one thing about the Wells character was I was like, this could have been a really fun personality through a season. Like an FBI agent with sort of this X-Files twist who, you know figures out what's going on or has Picard reveal what's going on and then is with them for a while for sort of that comedy relief, a little bit of that fish out of water stuff. It would have helped lighten the season <laughs> as opposed to what we've gotten. I'm like, why don't they work in characters like that? I mean, I have nothing against the doctor character who I think is, you know, been very well acted and, and sometimes well written, but um, it's also something we've seen before. Versus, like, having a character like the, the Wells character would have been a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, um, except, uh, did, did he not re read them any Miranda rights? Like, I like how Picard and uh, Guinan were just sitting <laughs> there for hours without ever asking for a lawyer. Well, that's also true, yeah. And this was, I guess, the last we've seen of young Guinan. What a weird relationship that was with Picard. <laughs> she could come back. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Eh. I don't know, the Guinan, this whole Guinan stuff just, like, I like the Whoopi Goldberg stuff at the start of it, but young Guinan, um, I found it to be incredibly frustrating because uh, she was incredibly cynical when we were first introduced to her. She shows up one episode or two episodes later, and she's trying to emulate the Guinan that we know from the TNG era, and I'm just like, whoa, that's rather schizo there. Like, it just, it... It, it, the, the characters are at the whims of whatever plot points the writers want to accomplish any given episode. And that is the most frustrating sort of writing that um, that, that I have to watch. And, and I, I just, anyone who's watched The Walking Dead is like, you have characters act stupid, like act like complete idiots just to accomplish some sort of plot point, And that's stuff that I just cannot stand. Mm -hmm. I had one more question for you. Why was Q only visible through like VR goggles in his conversation uh, so, with Corey? So... When Q previously visited that lab, he implanted a uh, living program within that headset or within the whatever program Corey was trying to access. Okay. Thank like you. an AI sort of like chatbot right. that uh, could, I don't I you know, props to Q. I think I, I forget, or, or I think I kind of forget though is he is like 
incredibly smart. You know, that's mm-hmm. why he's able to hack these systems, provide um, Adam Sung with kind of the uh, the breakthroughs that he needs. You know, I'm just like, okay, um, he can 3D print like uh, a mofo as well. So uh, good on him there. So um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know if we're going to get uh, a, a Q moment that will kind of um, make me think of him bringing in the uh, Mariacha bands, you know, uh, back in uh, TNG. I wonder if this season is having the um, Riddler problem with Q, where, you know, as uh, Paul Dini would talk about on the commentaries for Batman the Animated Series, he would always say he did not like writing Riddler stories. And the reason there's only two of them is because writing a character that smart is incredibly hard. And maybe that's the issue with Q this season is why he's so spotty in his screen time. They're like, this character is way too hard to write. He's way too smart. Well, because now the problem is how does... uh everybody just outsmart Q at this mm-hmm. point. You know, yeah. It's just like, okay, so, well, um, that's the case. Then it makes Q seem dumb. And if that's the case, well, it doesn't seem as if he's like a worthy antagonist. And the thing, I'm still not even quite sure what Q's end game is here. Like, uh, okay, so we understand that Rene Picard is meant to make this discovery that make Adam Soong's work obsolete. So... But, but why is Q involved in any of this? What, what, what does Q care when it comes to this alt timeline? Like, he doesn't want an alt timeline. He's been perfectly jolly working in the prime timeline, and now he's dying. And he... Like, I, here, here's the thing. I, I don't understand what, what Q's motivations are at this point either. And I also don't think that he's the one responsible for the alt timeline. I think whatever... Whoever's behind the stopping of the launch of Europa is supposed to be the one behind that, which would be Adam Sung, which it's the, okay, so it's the, okay, I'm talking my way way through it. It's a Borg queen trying to do this, uh, stop the launch, but she wants to create, like, all these, get a head start on assimilating the galaxy, whereas we saw in the alt timeline, it's more of a xenophobic sort of planet that evolves. I don't yeah. know, I can't, like, this is just so frustrating to even try to, like, parse out and think about, because none of it really makes that much sense when, when you really get down to brass tacks. Well, I would say, like, the Adam Sung plot is what is ultimately going to cause the problem, but the Borg... What's well, weird, because the Borg Queen, I would say, is more like a fly in the ointment who's just creating another problem, but if she's the one who's kind of pushing Adam Sung, you know, towards this, you know, very grim destiny that she is an active participant, which would indicate that she would play some sort of role going forward in this society. You're right. It's very confusing. I guess, I don't know. Maybe it's all just all just a causality loop, you know? And like, this is yeah. always supposed to happen. Picard was always supposed to come back in time. Maybe Q's trying to, like... Maybe the Europa, the Europa launch was never supposed to happen at this moment, and Rene Picard wasn't meant to go for a launch for another, you know, five years or something like that. And by letting the launch go through, that would I don't know. I look. The problem is I'm trying to think way too hard about something that's stupid, and that's frustrating to me as well. But it's also a case of what this show really doubles down on of, well, you'll find out next episode. Yeah, I know, I know. Which is frustrating in week-to-week podcasting. 
<laughs> very frustrating. <laughs> but I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, next week, we've got episode nine of Picard. We are getting real close to Strange New Worlds, which will at least mix things up on this podcast. <laughs> bring it on. Please bring it on. Anything, anything. Even if Strange New Worlds is is terrible, it can't. Okay, Cam, I did not think going into season two of Picard that it would be this bad. I thought that they were giving us, they're telling us all the right things. Uh, they brought in a new uh, showrunner who I thought could really switch things up. Um. I'm shocked by how bad this season has been. I, I really am. I, I, I found this one incredibly frustrating, mostly because it's kind of this blob of narrative that I don't care about. And they really didn't seem to learn the lessons of the previous season, despite saying things that indicated that they did. You know, So I don't even know if I can be excited about the return of the TNG cast for next season at this point. No, I'm struggling at that one. Um would you say that this season, season two Picard, where we are now, is inferior to season one Picard? If you look at IMDb, it seems pretty strongly that they are coming down as season one is superior. I think I might be getting tilted in that direction as well, just because I had episodes like Nepente, um, Broken Parts, Impossible Box at this point, which I thought were at least reasonably strong episodes. I would say that uh, episodes like... Um... Uh, the Stargazer, and uh, episode two. It has. Mm -hmm. ugh, why am I blanking on the title of episode two? It has a real obvious it's, one. Yeah, assimilation is no is episode three. I can't remember what episode yeah. two is called, but yeah. But I, I I think those are two strong episodes, and then after yep. that, the show kind of dropped off a cliff into L.A. Um, the <laughs> they dropped into the L.A. River Basin, and uh. I would always at this point I would say like I you know I'll answer that question for you by the time we get to the end of the season but at this point I would say that I am far more disappointed in season two than I was with season one. If you go back and listen to our podcasts from season one week to week, we were surprisingly kind of going with it. We were giving it a lot more slack than I think it deserves now. And if you listen to our podcast starting with assimilation. That's when you and I have been showing a lot more wariness about the show and a lot more disappointment with the show. So I think overall, I would say season one uh, better than season two, which is not something I thought was going to be possible. And no, hopefully season three can upset that, but uh, <laughs> we'll find out. You upset? can of course yes, yes, <laughs> upset me. Oh, you can of course find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in VR goggles Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P, P is in pig in a jar, O-R-T-O-N. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Good morning, starshine. The earth says hello. You twinkle above us. We twinkle below. Good morning, starshine. You eat us alive. Transfer complete.